0: with me in my foul life
1: podcast world what's up chat belting back at you another episode of the foul life podcast we're still sticking to our theme the 2020 2021 wild foul year issue we've called it the bible of duck hunters the bible of goose hunters if you want to know what's new and exciting for your waterfowl needs check it out today i am blessed to have my guest my co-host back mr skipper Knowles, skip Knowles, the editor-in-chief the brand manager of wild fowl skip how are you brother
0: very good my man it's good to be back appreciate you having us it's gonna be a
1: fun one i think i like the print behind you. you got some puppies and some decoys we also have I don't know what to call Vandemore. He's like a myth. He's like a unicorn. You hear about him, but you don't see him very often. He runs probably the most, uh, probably the most successful waterfowl guide service in the history of America. And I'm not just saying that. I truly mean that. What Tony and the McCullies and the Habitat crew have built in Missouri is nothing short of astonishing. Tony Vandemore, how are you, sir?
2: I'm doing great. Doing great. Nice to take a little break here.
1: I like it. You look like you're in a little break room right there, man. You got a nice view out that window.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's been, I actually had to come down to the lake this morning because our service is so bad at home. We could have never pulled this off.
1: I I would imagine a guy like you likes being able to say something like that, right? That you don't have good service to where (laughs) nobody can get to you.
2: Yeah, but it. yes and no. I mean, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It makes it hard to run a business when you can't hardly, have a phone call or a, a zoom call or anything like that i talked to skip we've been playing phone tag this week and we've got cut off probably 10 times and can't even hardly get a text out it's crazy you'd spend less less time on those private jets
0: Tony. easier you know
1: <laughs> private nope. jets or private tractors yeah tony's a tractor guy last but not least you've heard him here on the podcast before he is in charge of product development for Benelli USA. He knows every single thing there is to know about a Benelli shotgun. Every gun that Benelli makes, probably we could ask him a question today and he'll knock it out. Maybe we will, Alex Trevec, you today. George Thompson put you in the hot seat and ask you some quick fire questions about the Benelli brand. George Thompson, welcome back to the podcast.
3: Hey, Chad. Thanks for having me. And Hey to Skip. Hey to Tony. Good to see you guys. Yeah, good to see you, George
1: george what we got going on here is we've been going through the different segments of the gear issue and um i would say that out of everybody on here and i hope i'm not speaking out of turn here i would say that tony probably hunts as much as me but probably more you hunt every day of the duck season you hunt the early season let's start over you you hunt the early season till You hunt every day of the Missouri duck season, and then you're known, you're best known for snow goose hunting, which you've made that famous in America. Um, You start in Arkansas. You end up, I don't even know where now, but you also go to Saskatchewan early in the year, maybe. How many days a year do you think you hunt Vandamore?
2: Man, I don't know. It'd be... Well, over a hundred. I mean, we're, we're pretty blessed in Missouri. We've got a 16 day early teal season in September and then, you know, get up to Saskatchewan after that. And then we've got a 60 day regular duck season with the way our zones are structured. We've got a lodge in each zone. So we get about 65 to 72 depending on how the calendar lines up. And then we've got basically a month to shoot honkers and specs and then go right into, right into snows in Arkansas and then back up to Missouri Snows probably lasts 50 days, maybe. So. Right.
1: so you're a well over 100 days.
2: Yeah, yeah, probably.
1: So what I've been saying, Vandamore and George, is, is I believe wildfowl has become kind of the Bible, and I don't use that term lightly, but Tony, when you go into a duck lodge or George, you go into a camp and you don't see uh, a wildfowl laying on the table or in the bathroom do you kind of lose? Do you kind of lose interest in that lodge right away because you're like, man, these guys can't be serious waterfowl guys if they don't have wildfowl in there.
2: <laughs>
3: well, you know, it's, it's it's rare that it's not there, so let's
2: rare, just leave it at that. <laughs> Tony, what do you feel about that? Yeah, man, I totally agree with that. I mean, you can't walk into a hunt lodge without having art, you know, magazine after magazine, all the old ones, all the all the new gear issues. I mean, that's just the staple. We're hunters; we like to read about hunting.
1: See, that's exactly what I've been trying to say through these podcasts is that, man, that's one of the first things I look for and go to. I love the old editions. I'm glad you brought that up, Vanna But So, George, back to what I was saying before I interrupted myself with Tony's hunt schedule is that um, we've been going through these sections, ammo, blinds, camo, calls, all the different things, boats, motors, dog accessories, all of them play what we call a vital role in the success of the everyday waterfowl hunter to obtain consistent success. And I feel that that's what we're all trying to do is... Attain a success. The way that Vandamore paints the picture. Of his story of success, from the farming to the habitat to the ducks to working for the ducks to the to the lodge to the clients, to the way that Benelli has done that, the way that Skip has portrayed that through the pages of Wildfowl, is that we I don't want to take it for granted that what we get to do and see and experience. There's a lot of hunters out there, guys, that are looking to guys like Vandamore, Skip, and George for advice. They want to go into that book and know what kind of call do I get. We might look at that and go, "Well, man, I got every boat motor I'll ever need, or I got." Every every duck call that I'm ever going to need. You know, I don't know how many times that you've hunted with Jimbo, Tony, and you know every duck call maker in the country, Skip. So I don't. I want to make sure that we all understand that a lot of times I feel that we might not take it for granted, but we just assume that everybody knows or is on the same page as us and the abilities that we've been able to attain over the years with our experiences. And I don't take that for granted and I know none of you guys do. So those pages of this gear issue are very important to the everyday American and Canadian waterfowl hunters. So that's what I wanted to start this off with. And today's episode is about guns. It's about, I don't know if there's a more important tool. We love our dogs. Tony's got an unbelievable relationship over the past 20 years with several labs. I know Skip hunts with dogs every day. George hunts with dogs. I hunt with dogs. We love our boats and our four wheelers. The ammunition is actually the only product that makes contact with that live animal during the hunt besides the dog's mouth when that bird is dispatched. So the ammo is obviously very important, but we've been calling this system, right? We have our choke tube, our sights, we have our gun, and we have our ammunition. Tony, I'll start off with you. You, I've watched you, I've witnessed you shoot everything from a 28 to a 20 to a 12, an SB3 and SB2 before the 3 was introduced on the market two years ago. Why do you choose the guns that you use in the field, knowing what's at stake? You have a lot at stake, not just reputation, but you have livelihood at stake. Why do you choose to use the guns that you do? And what can that reader go into that book and find out, you know, what are you looking for? What do you look for in that gun when you take it out of your case every morning before you go chase ducks or snows?
2: I mean, the biggest thing for me is uh, I never have to never want to have to worry about it not going off or malfunctioning or you know coming apart or something breaking. Um to me it's it's a tool, uh, for sure. Um, but when I first started shooting, you know, the original Black Eagle in the mid-90s or late nineties, was it George? It was when they first first came across Pond and never shot anything different since outside of the Benelli Benelli family. I look at, you know, when it comes to buying a shotgun or shells or a boat, uh, whatever it may be, what what's your time worth? Um, I guess to put it in perspective, when I was when I was a kid, my dad he he was always about sales. He's like, "Man, look at this fifteen dollar pair of boots I got. These are awesome. They're gonna be best deal ever." Well, no, you froze. you froze to death. You know, you're you sat out there freezing. What, what's your time worth? You're, you're, working in the off season, you're scouting. Um, then you show up to hunt and you've got a, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a, a cheaper gun or whatever, but you got, you got something that not up to par with, with the work you put into it. I mean, I look at that as a, as a very, very small investment in the overall scheme of, uh, you know, the overall scheme of hunting, a good shotgun is a very small investment. For as many hours as you're going to put forth doing what you love to do,
1: I love hearing that, and I think that that mindset, Vandamore of the waterfowl hunter, has become all. I think that we're geared nuts, and I think that that's why this magazine is so, you know, important to guys like you, guys like me, and the other two gentlemen on this podcast today, and everybody listening is that we don't cut corners in a lot of ways. I mean, the hours just during the season are amazing from scouting to processing the birds and butchering the birds after and cooking dinner at the lodge and being exhausted. You guys are setting up snow spreads. It I've, I've seen videos of like two, three in the morning, you know, and then all of a sudden you get a wind report that it's switching and you can wake your guides back up in that little guide room and they're back out there. It's like a non-stop lifestyle deal. And I, and George, I want to talk to you about what Vandemore just touched on. And you and I have touched on this is when it comes to feeding our dogs, when it comes to having this, you know, saving up to be able to afford, quote, unquote, afford a Benelli, really it's not about that it's about that it's about what Tony just said is that you have to have that reliability I'm not going to go out and buy a food that I don't think is going to make my dog the best you know let let that dog him or her live its best life I want to put into that dog what I expect to get out of that dog and I think that our best friends deserve that right And, and in the case of a hunt I want that gun I want to know when I pick it up and that opportunity that Tony farms for that Skip travels for that George dreams of when those rosy bills in argentina descended on the decoy spread, or those mallards start coming over those treetops in arkansas and you hear jimbo on a cut down call Mah, rah, 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 and all of a sudden they start fluttering the decoys when that shot presents itself that opportunity presents itself it doesn't happen all the time it really truly doesn't vandamore you can speak on that it's few and far between bro so when it happens i want that gun to go bam 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 and you know transition from shot to shot george we've talked about it kids that are 15 to 18 now are saving up their lawnmower money to get a super black eagle or an m2 am i correct in saying that
3: oh yeah absolutely i mean it's it's been that way as long as i can remember Um, you know there's there's a few different kinds of folks that that buy a Benelli, right there's there's professionals like tony that just won't accept anything less Um, there's folks that you know aspire and dream of owning one because you know maybe they want to be like tony or maybe maybe they only have so much time to put into it and they, they you know, demand uh, reliability. Um, and then, you know, there's a few other classes of folks, but you know, that's really the heart and soul right there. Tony, Tony said it really well, actually. Um, you know, there's, there's so many variables that go into a successful hunt that, you know, our, our mission at Benelli is, is to remove the, the gun from that equation. Um, you know, the last thing that you want to have happen after all that work you put in is for the birds to do it right and you not get a shot off. Um, so, you know, that, that, that reliability team has, has been Benelli's cornerstone from day one. Um, and it's always going to be.
1: Skip, when you start to put the magazine together and you and Layden are laying it out with all of the riders, obviously we have to talk about this on a podcast and we know that we're all here talking about one certain brand but skip can't do that in his livelihood he might have a choice to make someday or he might have his favorites he might even have some biases but as to be fair to skip he has to take into consideration all of these gun manufacturers that i believe in my opinion my humble opinion That George just touched on is that people are trying these manufacturers are trying to strive for that Benelli equation just like that kids trying to save up to be like Vandemore and get involved in that Benelli equation now that's my bias Skip but I want to ask you when you start laying those pictures out what visions are going through your head is it what Tony just talked about Skip when you hunt when you're over in Uruguay with Terry Denman or you're in Arkansas or you're on a snow hunt or I know that you shot I, I know that you've been on hunts with Vandemore and George what are you looking for, Skip? And when you're writing that, I know that you have to be credible, and I know that you have to be fair. But are there any biases? Are you allowed to talk about that? And do you agree with what Vandemore and George Thompson are talking about when they mention the Benelli brand?
0: Yes, it's a it's a matter. Tony really did touch on it. It's time. Um, you look like I was just talking to my good friend Mike Miller my hunting buddy here, and, and this is my small Colorado town. And we've been working on this big duck boat and training dogs and testing shotguns. And um, we're going to do this murderous road trip to Nebraska. And, I mean, you're talking so much time and money invested, and you could have to suffer through some horrible weather on the road and all this stuff. And uh, to have a gun that doesn't maybe run when you've gone to all that effort to put that greenhead 20 yards in front of you, I mean, it, it's it's like the terminal gear on a marlin fishing boat. You know, you got an eighty thousand dollar yacht, or more than that, actually. You don't scrimp on the hooks and the fishing rod when you've gone to that horrific expense. Um, and it, it, I got it pretty easy right now. I don't I don't go in and excoriate um, a manufacturer if I find a flaw with their gun. It, we tend to try to avoid including that that gun. But we're in a wonderful era right now. It used to be, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but it used to be like Turkish guns were terrible, American guns were pretty good, and Italian guns were great, right? Well, it's all changed. The Turkish guns have gotten way better with companies like Weatherby and Benelli going over there and flipping the script on. I mean, Franke, of course, and Stover, mostly Stover, um, going over there and, and really showing them how to make guns. There's a lot of decent Turkish guns now. The Stovers run incredibly compared to how they used to. Um and there's a, just a, such a such a variety. There's people like uh, Xander Impala coming out. They sent me one of those the other day, and I've never sh- haven't shot it yet. But you can tell by the fit and finish that it's a it's a lot better gun than, than a lot of stuff that came from overseas before. And so there's so many more options. It's a crowded market. There's some auto duck gun market right now. Um, so it makes my job pretty easy to to look at the different manufacturers, know what's going to work. I've shot most of them at our giant um, OSG roundtables every year, or so. It's a, it's a good time to be a shotgunner, especially in a waterfowl shotgunner.
1: Tony, do you believe when you hear, I've heard you talk about your, your, your family and your upbringing, hunting the river growing up and, and, and hunting public areas. You've heard all the stories about the golden days, the the good old days. I feel that these are the good old days. I've been educated by guys that are in their mid seventies. George, you know, my good friend, Les Nesbitt. He turns 80 next year. My good friend, John LeMonico turns 90 this year. John LeMonico told me that we're in the golden air of waterfowl hunting. Do you believe that to be true, Tony
2: Vandemore? 100%. I mean, the glory days are now, without question. Uh, I mean, if you just look at all the opportunities that we have right now as waterfowlers, I mean, really from, well, I shouldn't say September 1. Now, I mean, they're shooting early honkers, what, October or August 1st, August 15th, up in the Dakotas. I mean, there is something to do basically from the middle of August until the end of May. I mean, whenever you want to quit chasing them. I mean, we have very, very liberal seasons right now. And as far as bird numbers go, um, I mean, they're, they're strong. I mean, on, on all fronts. Um, I've always heard the same thing. You know, my grandfather, the skies used to be black and all that. Well, they still are. And they're black with a lot of different things. Uh, you know, specks are in our area on, on the rise big time. We've got early opportunities at teal early opportunities at honkers. You've got a snow goose season in the spring when we used to be sitting around catching crappies or, you know, getting ready to getting ready for the summer baseball season or whatever it was, there was nothing to do. Um, Now we can do something as a waterfowler from mid August till the end of May. I mean, it's, it's incredible. There's no doubt. The glory days are now.
1: When you pick up that last snow goose decoy, and watch it go in the trailer in may tony vandamore do you take a huge deep breath and go i can't (laughs) wait to see a beach or are you literally this gung-ho about waterfowl hunting at your age now how old are you now tony 38 39 you got to be close to me i mean i'm 45 you're 43 guy you look good bro you've been staying in shape skip we need to get on his workout program after this podcast george i know you already got your own tony you've got to get tired of what you just described and I'm not, I'm playing the devil's advocate. Okay. I understand the answer, but do you ever wake up and go, I got to hit the snooze button one more time, or are you just chipper all every day of the duck season and you're fired up all the way through the end of snows,
2: man, I, I get up. Even in the off season between two thirty and four o'clock every day. And that's just what I do. I don't make it very long at night, but I'd say the last snow goose decoy of the season. Um, it's not necessarily bittersweet. I usually just kick it as hard as I can into the trailer and run away from it and look forward to <laughs> eating turkeys. But the next morning when you wake up, it's just a, a void. It's like, wait a minute, we're snow goose season's over, waterfowl season's over. This man, this isn't any good. Now I gotta wait till September. So it's kind of bittersweet. Um, but it's you think you get tired and all that some of the days run on but we're still very very blessed to be able to do what we de- to be able to do what we do every day and uh you know the day after season you miss it 100%.
1: Do you miss the clients Tony and I don't mean to stay on 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 you a bunch but I'm getting somewhere with this line of question is when when you when you put them into the truck or the four-wheeler the UTV in the morning to get them out to the hole is it a bond like right away is am I on to something v- Vandemore of the way you get to know somebody in a duck camp, as opposed to a golf course, or even you're a baseball guy, dugout, the locker room—that was awesome, the camaraderie, the brotherhood. But is there not something different about duck camp that makes this world go round?
2: There is, man. There's, you, there's no—you you don't see a lot of people being fake. I mean, there's no reason to be. You're in the, you're having a good meal. You're hanging out. You're telling stories about what we all love to do. Um, I think. You know, the, the bond that we share with with our guests and, and friends is just like, you know, growing up with your grandfathers and uncles you used to hunt with. I mean, what's cool for me in the outfitting business is in the, the spring, summer, you know, I'm planting, I'm farming, doing this. My phone's just blowing up with our clients, with our guests. You know, hey, did you catch that rain or did you miss this rain? Or what's new this year? Are you gonna you're gonna try a hole over here? Are you gonna put a new pit over here? I mean, they get just as involved in it as as we do. I mean, they might live in the city or or wherever they're from, but that's their kind of, we're kind of their grasp to, to doing something, you know, to, to duck season throughout the year. So I think the the bond you form, the duck bond is, is different than anywhere else.
1: Does that bond taper down to the gun level in the morning now is where I was going also with this line of questioning to Tony is, do most of your clients bring their own gun or as they know your reputation has grown in this industry over the last 15, 20 years and your association with a brand like Benelli, do they rely on you for that gun to be given to them? Does it happen to where one might go off? One might go out of, of, of service during the day and you got to hand them a Benelli. What's the overall feeling of your guest list and your clientele when they have that Benelli in their hand, or they get the opportunity to shoot what Tony Vandemore shooting.
2: I would say, uh, Man, everybody, everybody loves it. Uh, I would say the grand majority of shotguns that we see are Benelli's and not to beat a dead horse, but, you know, it's not just the the wealthy, you know, corporate level Americans anymore. I mean, we're seeing it's, it's just a different day and age. This This generation that we're in now isn't necessarily looking at saving a buck. They're going to spend the money to buy something one time and buy the best instead of buying something wrong three or four times to save a couple hundred bucks. I mean, I see it every day. I mean, kids are walking in, and I'm talking high school kids, younger, um, you know, 20s. When I was in the 20s, I didn't have anything, but spend it all on hunting, and they're doing the same thing. They're going to buy the best clothing, the best guns, the best waders. When they come, they're ready. It might They might only hunt six or eight days a year, but they're going to have the best gear when they do it.
1: Thompson, when that mailbox is open this week, whatever, whatever state these duck and hunters live in, male, female, young, old, mid, mid-aged, middle-aged, that mailbox opens and they pull this gear issue out. What do you want them to get out of it, George? Is it the best technology? Is there any other surprises that the wildfowl gear issue reader can expect to see when he turns the pages in, to, through the gun section?
3: Well, you know it's July, so all of our surprises are, are they're out, right? We've launched all of our products for this year. Uh, obviously, the best finish um, is is particularly suited for waterfowl hunters, even more so for somebody that hunts saltwater marshes, um, because that, that that's a it's another guarantee that you're never going to have any problems, right? It eliminates rust and corrosion from the equation. Um, but you know, perhaps even bigger than that is is just the, the you know, confirmation yet again, that super black Eagle is the dominant waterfowl shotgun out in the market. Um, that's our flagship. That's what we think about every day. Um, you know, it's four years old now, um, but still the best shotgun out in the market as far as I'm concerned. Um, so, you know, I don't know that they're going to see any surprises at this time of the year. Um, come January, they'll get some surprises.
1: (laughs) We have to wait till January, hundred percent.
3: You know, we we seem to have this conversation every every time I'm just time always we get trying together. to get something. I just want to be in the know. <laughs> I, mean,
1: I see Tony shaking his head. He obviously knows. Can we and Skip get in on this little secret or what, George?
3: No, I don't think Tony knows about this one yet. He, he might have some inclination, but um, I I can I can promise you, Tony's going to like it. Um, so yeah, come we'll, we'll we'll talk about it in January. Heck, if if the stars align, which unfortunately it doesn't look like they are. I'd love to get out to Tony's place this fall and, and give him a preview of it and shoot some ducks with it. Um, we'll have to see if if, if that's going to be a reality or not. But um, um, you know, January is always our time of year where we we would launch all the new stuff. Um, this past year, we had some big stuff happen. You know, we talked about best. Um, we had expansion of our over and under, which isn't a waterfowl gun necessarily. Of course, you could use it for waterfowl, um, but we did a twenty gauge version of that. Um, and of course our first ever bolt action rifle for the big game folks that are listening the Lupo, um, which is just a fantastic product as well.
1: What Skip does for a brand like Benelli George Thompson is, is, is very imperative to the success of a brand, in my opinion, can you and Skip and, and, and Tony's been involved in a ton of these, how important are rider hunts, media hunts? It seems like every time I talk to you, George, you got two or three on your schedule, um, are they worth it for what and what what do they entail and what are is the skip get out of it what does benelli get out of it what does a guy like vandemore when he hosts one of these hunts get out of it what is a rider hunt
3: well if you don't mind i'll go first here um and i can't speak for skip or tony obviously but i can speak for me uh, and benelli um and writers hunts are extremely important for us um because they are you know, independent third-party reviews or confirmations of the product. Um, you know, you, you could, any company can go out and buy a bunch of people to, to talk good about their product, but that's not how we do it, right? We simply provide an opportunity for writers to use the product and then tell us, tell us in, in the world what they think about it. Um, so we, we put a very, very high value on them, uh, probably more so than any of our other advertising means. Because they are independent third party endorsements, right? They're way more, it's way more believable. Um, and in some ways, true. Um, for Skip to say something good about Benelli than it is for me to say something good about Benelli. I mean, for that regard, even Tony as well, right? Maybe even more so, Tony, because he's got no affiliation. He just wants to use the gear that's best for what he's doing. Um, so we, you know, in my mind, there, there is no stronger, uh, you know, message for, for a a customer or a person to read than somebody other than the guy that made the gun talking good about it, right. Or saying truths about the
1: gun. Skip before Tony talks about his experience with rider hunts, what are you trying to do when you schedule these type of excursions? Are you trying to go to the best places in the world to get on a hunt? Or is there actually a strategy of what's going to happen once your feet hit that dirt?
0: Oh, for us, it's just about getting content um, and to make it exciting. You know, we get the, the, these invitations to really cush private clubs that you know guys like me could never afford to join, and where you, you know you can just go eat an exquisite meal, be very comfortable, and pile up greenheads. And it's it, those are all tempting, but we almost always pass on them. Instead, of doing uh, something with Benelli, Um, like for instance. I get aspirational content, exciting stuff that people really want to do. Like we went to cold Bay and then the Bering sea, but we get to torture test stuff in ways that, on trips like that, that, that you never could, you know, me hunting with my buddy Fred Eichler down in the nice, um, weather of South central Colorado. You're just not going to really put much to the test there. I was sitting on a berm on the Bering sea. Um, uh, at uh st paul island and it was a, it was a sand dune and the waves were so violent it came and blew out the sand dune underneath me it collapsed and i just went boom i dropped four vertical feet and uh, and the wave came over me and my waders and everything i stood up and this new SB e3 i poured salt water and sand out of the barrel ran the action it's a lot smoother now george because of the, the sand effect and and i got to shoot that gun i got salt water in my eyes when i shot but it ran and ran and ran and if that's not the the kind of cool opportunity I get um, from a a writer trip like that. to really test a brand new product in ways that are unfathomable around here. That's the benefit for me. And then to get to share that with readers and just to be open and honest and tell them exactly how it works. It's a, it's an exciting thing all the way around.
1: Tony, I'm going to, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess here, Vandamore. And I don't even know if you'll be able to remember this with everything that you've accomplished, but I'm going to say that 2000. The 2000 2001 season was the first time that you experienced a rider hunt. Am I close or am I way off?
2: Yeah, I'd say so, somewhere right around there.
1: It's uh, do you do you have like skip story just now? Do you have a memory that came out of a rider hunt that you that you that stands out in your brain with all the ones you've done?
2: Man, we've you know I've been fortunate, I've been like you, we've taken the majority of the riders, you know, across the country for a long, long time. Um, uh, and most of them are an absolute blast, have a great time doing it. I'd say probably one of my best memories of a writer hunt. And I, I can probably share his name because it's very funny, but you know Nick Sisley. So this is back in the days where I think I had a, maybe a flip phone at the time and uh cell phone service, just absolutely brutal. So Nick's coming in and, and he was getting in in the afternoon, so I said, Nick, you know, make sure you try to be here at, at one o'clock. We're gonna go out. We're gonna have a great afternoon hunt, and then we'll we'll eat dinner and we'll start fresh the next morning. Okay, yep, got it. And I said, you know, you turn off at, at Brookfield and whatever it was. It was seven point three miles south or whatever. My old mouse house, rat house, camp I had. Uh, you come. It's white, blue roof. Got a barn. Just come on in. Make stuff at home. We're going to get ready to roll. So I'm sitting there waiting. I'm all dressed up, ready to roll. And uh like, looking at the clock, 1.30, 2 o'clock. I'm like, good Lord, what happened? You know, we, we got to get going. We're going to miss this deal. Nothing. So finally, I'm just laying on the couch like, oh, my God, trying to call cell phone, nothing. I'm like, holy cow, this is back with, with Avery. You know, I'm like, man, Cooksey's going to be mad. <laughs> going to miss this deal. going to blow this deal. Well, finally, like 3 o'clock, door opens. Nick comes walking in. I'm like, hey, Mr. Sisley, how you doing? He said, well, we've got a good story to start this deal off. I was like, really? I was like, what, what happened? He said, well, you know, a mile north of here, there's another white house with a blue roof. I said, <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, there is. That's why I gave you the, you know, look at the mileage on your, on your car. He said, well, I didn't really think about that. And I pulled in there. I got all my gear, got my gun, moved into the house, and sitting in the living room, put my gun together at the coffee table and it hit me. I had to go to the bathroom. I go to the bathroom and I'm in there looking for something to read and I pick up like women's homes and garden and he said, all of a sudden it hit me. I'm in the wrong house. (laughs) He went into the neighbor's house up the road for like two hours, moved his gear in, used the bathroom. Luckily, nobody came home to find Nick Sisley putting a shotgun together at their coffee table. But that, that's the best writer story I can tell you.
1: That sounds like an episode out of Ozarks.
2: Oh, my God. It was awesome. We laughed about that and still do. That's awesome. I thought you were mad at me for writing about that, Tony. But I forgot the best part. It hit him so fast, it didn't, he didn't flush when he left. Oh. I got up and ran.
1: Oh, gosh. <laughs> That lady is freaking probably still not recovered. Oh, that's funny. I
3: wonder, wonder if she figured out what happened.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's crazy. no. What, hey, Tony, what is, what's going on in the current state? Give us an update on HF right now, of where you're at, um, uh, new lodges, new ground, uh, new client list are, are hunts available. Is it a waiting list? How do, how do we get to come hunt with Habitat Flats?
2: Man, best way, just shoot me an email. It's Tony at dot com. Um, we, o- we usually have a few spots available, like getting late this year, like now, you know, you get a cancellation here and there, something comes up, somebody has to go to a birthday party. They, they got to move dates or whatever. Um, we can usually get, get people worked in on, on semi late notice, but yeah, I mean, last year we built another lodge in Missouri about 40 miles or 40 minutes from our home lodge. Um, Really, really cool, right on the Missouri River, uh, overlooking Big Refuge, really, really proud of it. Um, we've got a lodge in Saskatchewan and one in Arkansas, um, but really things have, things have been good. Uh, we've got all of, our, all of our duck food in right now, and, and this time of year, now we're starting to work on the moist soil stuff. Uh, the summer, the off season's typically my busiest time of year. I mean, the hunting part's easy, but this time of year it gets pretty old, long days.
1: I bet. Are you, are you uh, planning on going out here this season, Skip? Are you going to visit Habitat Flats? How, how many times have you been to HF, Skip?
0: It's funny. I, um, I'm the, I'm the, Tony, what he didn't say is most riders are pretty weird. And I uh, was hosting a TV show at his place once, uh, teal season actually years ago and, um, had some 28 gauges shipped out and he thought they were 20 gauges. He goes, well, we'll try them. I'm like, they're 28 gauges. And he was like, what and it looked just like a toothpick in his big you know baseball player hand and uh but he's a hell of a shot and he started stroking him and we used uh we used tungsten he was he was killing ducks out to 45 yards with those 28 gauges right out of the gate him and aaron both snapped and bought those 28 gauges and you've been shooting them ever since tony
2: yeah absolutely i mean i gotta tell you the black eagle three is my favorite 12-gauge shotgun but as far as uh a sub gauge 28 gauge the the ethos is my favorite gun if it was synthetic i'd shoot it every day (laughs) i would would too answer your question chad i we haven't had a proper duck hunt
0: in years um i've had some outrageous snow goose shoots with him i mean like dark clouds and lightning crackling in the background the birds coming in because we just went through the rigmarole of switching the blinds because of the wind and just butchering them and one, one thing about this sport that we all love so much is you can just never quit learning. There's so many people who know so much more than a journalist, generalist about things. I've gotten to dabble in it all, but like it, we were at Tony's one day and uh, got out there early. And, and right before dawn, a huge snowstorm hit and just blanketed the entire spread. All the, all the snow geese had icicles hanging off their nose and snow geese, I mean, they live to be over 20 years old. You're just not gonna kill anything in those conditions. And we ran around frantically and beat all the decoys, tried to get the ice off of them. There was about 1800 we didn't get to. It was one of those permanent satellite dish spreads, you know, and um and I was already laying in the and nothing's flying and the decoys look absolutely terrible. And there's nothing but adult birds in the area, the most unkillable. There's no juvies. And I'm laying there thinking about what I'm gonna have on my omelet and how fast we can get back to the lodge to waste some time. And I mean, the skies just opened up. You started seeing a little black dots of pepper, you know thousands of yards in the sky and they just spiraled right down. And they did. It. We killed a couple hundred snow geese in like two hours. And we absolutely shouldn't have. You just never know what to sport. And so no, I haven't done a proper greenhead shoot with Tony in a while, but um, we've, we've sure smacked the teal and the snow geese around a lot. And I, I never have a, anything but a great time out there. It's the, the camaraderie in that lodge is, a, is extraordinary too. Cause there's people from everywhere.
1: Tony and a lot of duck hunters that are getting into this lifestyle or into this, culture of waterfowl hunting they have no idea what's getting ready to hit them they have no idea what's getting gonna happen if they really let it get in their blood like you have i have i'm a i'm a westerner i i went on my first duck hunt when i was 27 years old and i saw some gadwall get spun around on a comeback call that phil robertson had taught this guy you know, from video of standing on that first
2: note,
1: him and Coco used to go over that kind of stuff. And then he had a video called the 10 commandments of duck hunting. And I remember him talking about that, but I got hooked, Tony. And a lot of people that are getting into it have told me whether it was a seminar or speaking engagement or in a camp or at a store visit or whatever. They think that that's got to be stormy. It's got to be a low ceiling. They want those dark days. They want that snowfall and that hail, that rain in their face. Those those print ads that you see in wildfowl sometime of man. It's got to be gloomy to be a to be successful duck hunter. Tony, what is the best waterfowl hunting day to Tony Vandemore? What what's the weather look like?
2: Well, there's not going to be a cloud in the sky. <laughs> and there's going to be a twelve to fifteen mile an hour wind out of any direction, anywhere from zero to 60 biggest thing bluebird good breeze get them get them warm days after a cold snap where they're reverse migrating out of the south it's incredible i mean you get them days with snow on the ground it's 15 degrees you've got an ice hole and the sun just lights up their underbellies and they just glow when they're coming in i mean it's it's incredible there's nothing like sunshine to me and that's you know we get a lot of folks from a lot of different parts of the country and the diver hunters out on the coast they like the 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 rainy days and the weather and and all that stuff and i'd I'd take 60 straight days of sun and wind maybe (laughs) maybe mix one good snow day in there because they're they're pretty in the snow too but
1: But have you heard that from a lot of hunters of like, man, you know, like the the Louisiana guys or the California guys, it's like they always want clouds. And I'm like, they just don't act like mallards when there's clouds in the sky. The shadows help everything. There's just something about that ball of fire that makes ducks be ducks, in my opinion. I'm glad you said that. And I knew that I was kind of going there. I knew you were going to say that. But I just wanted to get the point across that you're going to get a way better reaction and finish of ducks or snow, even snow geese, Tony, right? Even with snow geese, you want sunshine, right?
2: thousand percent absolutely and you know part of that is you hide so much better i mean you you've got shadows and and all that and the hunters hide so much better but man there's no question whatever it is honkers snows ducks they work way different in the sun than they do in the clouds and it's a lot better
1: george when you were talking before you had mentioned that you know you might take tony's opinion over somebody like skips even in some instances because of his livelihood and using the benelli shotgun every day skip you made mention that you would book a rider hunt with a guy like tony because he has the ability to put you on him and you respect his opinion george thompson why do you believe in endorsement deals why does nike have the Jordans? Why did Ken Griffey Jr. and Bo Jackson have so many endorsement deals? Why do you have Tony Vandemore as part of Benelli or The Foul Life? What does that do for a brand? And where I'm going with that, George, and what I want you to speak on is there's an educative part of this this mission of becoming a waterfowl hunter. I respect Tony's opinion because of the time he's put into this lifestyle and the overall ingrained culture of it. I respect Skip for his experience and what he's been able to do with putting pen or p- pencil to paper. I respect your ability, George, to break down a shotgun and explain that gun in layman's terms so the everyday guy can be comfortable taking it apart, cleaning it, shooting it, fixing it, whatever the malfunction might be, whatever the maintenance might entail. What does an endorsement deal have to do with hunting. And why would you ever have somebody like Tony vandamore or, or the Foul Life or any of these guys that are representing Benelli? What does it do for the brand?
3: Well, let me preface my answer by being very clear that I'm not a marketing guy. Okay. I'm i I'm, I'm a product guy. But I can I can uh I can make some level of an educated opinion here. Um so endorsement, endorsements are are valuable because of, again of that third party credibility aspect. Um, now, I will say that for Benelli in particular, which is probably very different than uh, the way a lot of other companies look at it, um, is, is we don't have do very many endorsements. I mean, outside of, outside of you guys, there's not really a, a long list of Benelli endorsed shooters or users out there. Um, because, you know, you lose some of that credibility when people know that you're, you're just paying them to use your product, right? I mean, what does that really tell anybody? Um, so, you know, the, the whole point of an endorsement is credibility, right, and third-party support of your product. But you kind of negate that when all you do is stroke a big check to somebody for them to use your product. So, we don't really like to do a lot of those things. Um, and I mean, we don't need to get into details, but you guys know we don't we don't write big checks for people to use our products. We want people to use our products because they believe in the product and they want to be affiliated with the brand, um, not because you know not because we're, we're making a false promise to the customer. Right. Um, I would hope, and I know you, you guys are, 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 are part of this group that you wouldn't say anything that wasn't true. Right. I wouldn't ask you to say something that wasn't true. Um, you know, it's not the case where, you know, you mentioned Nike and, and I don't know exactly how Nike operates, but I remember when I was a kid, they sold you on the message that you wear these shoes, you can jump higher. Right. That's Boshi. We know that. Um, so, you know, I'm not about selling false promises, right? Um, I like, I, I value you guys from a product perspective. I value you guys not so much for the marketing piece of it. Yeah, that's good. I appreciate that piece of it. But I like your, I respect your input on the products, right? You guys tell me this is wrong, or this should be different, or can you do this? I mean, you guys made some comments earlier that I've already gotten my notebook for, for future products, right? So, you know, that, that's the piece that I look for when it comes to professionals like yourselves is, is that experience. I want to, I want to learn from that education and that experience to how I can make the products better. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question very well or not, but that's no, what you it get does. from a product guy.
1: It does. What I like about, you know, <laughs> watching from the outside, looking into something like Vandemore has got going on with HF and his, his career. And Skip, you can talk on this too, is because you're watching from the outside also, I personally have never been to Habitat Flats, but I feel like I got a pretty good idea of Tony's culture through the way he represents not himself, not just himself. His family, his partners, his clients, his dogs, his properties, his tractors, his every single thing that he does. There's never one time where he holds that SB3 up and goes, if you don't chew Big Red, then, you know, and Ricky Bobby, it. he's not that guy. So I think that there's a lot of credibility that comes with the culture, the lifestyle and the overall presence of somebody like Vandemore at HF being able to tell that story every day that if you work hard, we were put on this earth to work. You're can you you're lo- you're in love, you have great families, you have kids, we all have that. But without work ethic, without getting dirt under our fingernails and sweat equity and elbow grease, it's going to be very hard to maintain a family and to provide for that family. We are providers for a reason. So when you watch what Tony does, I think that that Benelli culture is ingrained in that and that's what sparks the curiosity in an in-consumer's mind of, look, Tony believes in Benelli, but look at what he really believes in. He has to depend on that gun to go boom, 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 and for his clients to have a great experience. But in the re- at, at the end of the day, I think those readers, those social media watchers, those YouTube video watchers, those DVD watchers are looking at the lifestyle of somebody like Tony Vandemore and going, that's what I want my kids to be like. That's what I want my kids to represent. And if he's going to be represented by Benelli, then we're going to support Benelli. That's the way that I look at an endorsement deal if it's done right. Tony, am I hitting on something there? Would you agree with that? Or is it more of a Ricky Bobby routine for you?
2: No, I, I agree with you for sure. I mean, one of the things that that I always think about is I was I was blessed. I mean, my my dad, my uncles, my grandfathers, you know they hunted and took me with them, and I had all the opportunity in the world to do it, um, and I was involved in it from you know the day when I could barely walk to the blind for the first time. So it's been a lifestyle, it's been a culture, it's been in my blood. You know all I could ever think about since then. But there's a lot of people, well like yourself for instance, you didn't start to you know you were 27. There's there's a huge learning curve in getting into waterfowl hunting. I mean it's kind of intimidating. So for somebody that's that's not necessarily new to it. Maybe they've been doing it a while. It's, you know, I had people growing up that I looked up to. I mean, I watched the first Duck Commander video, one of the best videos still to this day it's ever made. I mean, you're always, not even just in hunting, but in 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 all aspects of life, whatever business you're in, there's somebody that you're looking to as a mentor that's teaching you. You know, there's a learning curve. You're looking for ways to, to cut down on that learning curve. And that's kind of where I see myself fitting in with, you know, with, with George and the Benelli family, it's not a, Hey, here's my super black Eagle too. This is the only thing you could shoot. It's the best gun ever made. I mean, the first time they brought him across the pond, that's what I started shooting and it's never failed me. So why am I, there's no reason to leave. You know what I mean? When, you, when you're doing something as much as we do and you get something that is going to stand up to the day-to-day abuse, I mean, why, why shy away from that? I'm not, a, I'm not a gun cleaner. I don't sit there and take care of my guns. I feel bad, but I don't have the time. You know, we always talk about time. Well, what's that extra 10 minutes for me hunting 100-plus days a year, cleaning a shotgun? I'm going to do it. I'll score a little oil on it, tip it upside down two days a week and call it good. So you got to have something that can can stand up to that. And for me, it's, it's been a Benelli since I first came across Pond in the mid-'90s. George, did
1: I just see a little reaction when Vandemore said that he's not a gun cleaner? Does that irritate George Thompson to hear that? Or does it have make you feel so prideful that somebody like Tony can say that with a straight face that we don't clean a Benelli very often? And I don't know if we're supposed to, George. I don't know if that's in the instruction manual because they just work every day. And I do the exact same thing that Tony does is like, well, I mean, I could take this apart and do a little tutorial on how to clean it but I don't want to fake somebody out because I might not know how to clean that gun. If I took it apart right now, George, does that irritate (laughs) you to hear us say stuff like that?
3: No, no, absolutely not. Um, In fact, I'd say it's the opposite. There's a certain level of pride I get from hearing you guys say that, right? Um, You know, I've said it before to you, Chad. I mean, it it is, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a machine, you know, it's a mechanical device. And, uh, and as such, there is some level of maintenance that's required um, but we, you know, we take a lot of pride in the fact that um, the the mechanism is so simple. It's so reliable that that period in between maintenance intervals can be so long and not hinder, you know, reliability. Right. Um, so, no, no, it's not irritating. I mean, it's the reality of it. Right. I mean, we we hear every day, you know, I bought a Benelli because I don't like cleaning guns. Well, good choice. right? <laughs> um, so, no, it's, I take pride in hearing that. I don't I don't get irritated by that.
1: Skip, when you hear when you hear the experience on this podcast with as many days as somebody like Vandemore spends in the field, how does the gear issue benefit somebody like Tony Vandemore? And then I want Tony to talk about that same question. Does it, Tony? Or is it just uh, for I I don't even want to say that term that you hear the duck and then the P word, the PO word. I don't want to say that, but is it just something that gets your hair standing up on the back of your neck and it's some adrenaline going, man, but skip you start. How do you gear this magazine for somebody at his experience level to keep his interest level there?
0: Oh, I like to send him as many clients as I can after a good hunt for one thing. That's a direct benefit for him. I've, I booked Ramsey, Ramsey Russell on a, um, a brand hunt on the Sea Cortez out for two years after people read one of my stories. And it's because the excitement level was so high and it was it's something you want to do when you read it, you know? And so that's, that's uh, the benefit for them. And they have a pulpit in which to share their knowledge. Because once you're an expert, a true expert like Tony or George, you want to share that knowledge. It's not fun to just sit on it, you know. um, The the advantage for me, though, is um, as a a journalist, journalist, I'm bopping all over the country hunting, trying to get out here like maybe once a week during during the season. And a guy like Tony is completely immersed. Guys like Fred Eichler, Fred Zink, and Tony, they live it, they're completely immersed every day. It's all they do, it's their life. And they're gonna attain a level of knowledge of everything that, that nobody else can. And that's what I like to try and share with the readers at every turn, because it's, uh, it's invaluable, you know? A guy like Tony has just seen it all. And George has traveled so much. Uh, I don't know, how many continents have you hunted now, George? Um, he's seen it all too. Most of them. All of them, yeah. Uh, And so there's the value there. You just you can get knowledge from these guys because they've seen everything, you know.
2: Do
1: you get anything out of it still, Vandamore? When you pick up a a a gear issue and 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 go through what's new and exciting? I lost Tony. Did you guys?
2: Oh, sorry, I had it muted. Oh, there you are. I know. You know, absolutely. I get something from it. I know the dog days of summer are coming to an end, and we're on the downhill slide towards season getting here. But really, I mean. It's, it's so weird. I'm sure you're the same way. When, when, when I was a kid, I mean, by June 1st, my bag was packed. I had my duck calls in there. had my shells in there. Everything was ready. Summer took forever. And, you know, opening day never got here. And now we're all so busy. I mean, it's like opening the night before opener. It's like, holy cow, where, where, are, my, where are my calls? Where's my tuning kit? Where's my shell? You know, you're just, it's a totally different mindset. And to go along with that. I don't have time anymore to pay attention like I used to uh, as far as the industry wide. So when the gear issue comes out, I'm just like everybody else. I'm flipping through it. Like, Oh wow. That's man. That's pretty cool deal. That's a really cool deal. Flipping that, man, I can't believe, you know, they came out with that. Um, It's just a, it's a good, good thing to go through. I look forward to doing it every year.
1: And do you, do you think that when you start talking about how, soon you get ready how early you're getting ready in the summer tony fast forward 17 years from today you're 60 years old do you say that same sentence or do you think you're going to be as mad at him are you even mad at him anymore tony to smile the piles still are they the only thing that make you smile because there was a long time there's still today is that tony vandemore is known for stacking them up 17 years goes by, Tony. You're 60 years old. Your kids are probably graduated from high school. You might even have a grandkid by then in the duck blind. Are you still this excited to see a green-headed duck do what he does into the decoys?
2: thousand percent. I mean, there's, if I miss – whenever that, that feeling gets old to me, I'm going to be six foot under. I hope it's some well past 60, but you never know. But no, that, that will never get old. And to me, it honestly – you know, we all go through stages where we want the big pile. We want to kill them. We're going to sneak over pond and we're going to do whatever. Then, they, you know, we're going to decoy them perfect. But kind of where I'm at now and is why I love guiding because I get to take so many people. I mean, I'm not just watching, you know, me and two buddies kill 12 Mallard Drakes. Now, you know, we're taking a whole bunch of people. I get to watch everybody do this. Uh, it, it doesn't matter to me who pulls the trigger. I just want to be in the game. I want to sit there have a cup of coffee, run a dog, blow on a call. When it's my turn, I'm, I'm definitely going to shoot mine. But if my turn doesn't come up, I'm tickled to death to watch somebody else do it. I mean, that to say that it it's 24-7, 365 is kind of cliche, but but it really is. And, and I'm very, very lucky to do what I do and be able to work on duck season every day of the
1: year. Well, you're a great representation of the culture, Tony. I congratulate you for what you've accomplished. And I know that you're very humbled by your lifestyle. And I think that that's why people are going to want you to answer a question like this. And I want all three of you to answer this question. And Tony uh, talked about a little bit with his grandpa and his dad and how fortunate he was with his upbringing in the hunting culture. How do we get new people into duck hunting? Mentorship. How, Tony, you start... What's key to you of introducing new folks to this because there's two million two and a half million duck hunters in the country There's 14 and deer hunters. There's four and a half million turkey hunters There's more predator hunters in this country than there are duck hunters We all understand the reasons why the laws the being able to even identify ducks on the on the you know When they're flying and in their flight patterns um, the cold mornings the wetness the weather all the climate how do we do it, Tony Vandemore? Give me what you're working on. You have kids that you're introducing to this lifestyle. How do we get others that that we want to share this lifestyle with and let them get hooked like we did?
2: Now, I think it's, you know, part of it is just sharing with them the the unbelievable things we get to see every day. I mean, how can you, how those people that don't hunt, if, if they saw one sunrise from a duck blind with a bunch of mallards coming in, I mean, they want to see it again and again and again. And I think a lot of it starts with our youth. And, you know, having, having a, my oldest daughter, six, you know, starting to take her with, it's a, a realization that that hunt is no longer about you. I mean, you're not out there to, to kill your ducks or do whatever. You're out there to captivate the attention of somebody that's never done it. So if that hunt lasts 30 minutes or six hours, that's fine. She may get cold and say, it's over. Great, pack it up and go to the truck. But you need to set yourself up for success. And, you know, when you're bringing somebody new into it, you got to set yourself up for success. I mean, we hunted public land forever. And I'm a little bit different because it was in, you know, in my blood. And I had the passion for it. So I love hunting public ground. But for somebody that's brand new, they may not want to do that. And, uh, you know, that kind of goes into with what we do with Habitat Flats, you know, there's there's a lot of people that don't necessarily care for outfitters and, you know, they want to see the world turn back to knocking on doors and all that. And that's fine. But, you know, there's a, a pretty genuine, you know, good service that we provide. Somebody that's brand new, you know, they're sitting in the city or in the, wherever they're from, they don't have the opportunity to duck hunt. They don't have the know-how. They don't have the equipment, but they want to try it. So they pick up the phone and they say, hey, do you have any dates open. Absolutely. Come on out. So on the plus side, it's setting them up for a very positive experience right out of the gate. That's going to get that in their blood and get them going. And then, you know, they're going to want to go more. Now they're going to maybe buy some stuff, start doing it on their own, which is awesome. We just help kind of cut that learning curve down to where we can help get people successful quicker. I mean, I, to me, you have to take new people with you and kids as, as often as you can because there's a lot lot more people want to see hunting shut down than there are hunters.
1: It'd be really cool to be a fly on the wall or to have some really, really small cameras with really good microphones to put in the houses of your clients or in the offices of your clients when they get back from an HF hunt to hear what's going on, like... I bet you're there on the phone like ordering a new coat they're over here you know figuring out how to get to the sporting clay range and they're like man we gotta look at these boats and man we gotta do this and he's got this kind of tr- I could just that's like that's the cool part about what you do is that what, even after the greenheads are cleaned and packaged and they're sent back in the coolers with the guys that's then that conversation starts taking place on how do we get to do that more often George how is Benelli positioned in your opinion what do you think of what Vandemore just said and how does Benelli play a role in mentorship and getting new folks involved in this culture
3: that that is uh quite literally the, the million dollar question right um you know these trends and hunting participation are real and we've been watching them for a number of years now and whether it's us or it's it's industry like nssf you know trying to work on initiatives to to get more hunters involved and to, and to get youth hunters uh participating it's a tough deal man um you know, Tony touched on a number of things. I, I, the biggest problem is obviously the, the number of barriers to entry that there are. Um, it, it's it, it's really tough just to go from from knowing nothing, doing nothing to, to being a duck hunter. Um, you know, and Tony's point is again spot on. You know, probably the easiest way for them to get a taste, to get it in their in their blood, is, is to go out with a pro and see how it's done. Right? That 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 a novice, somebody that knows nothing, may not even have ever shot a gun before. Go with someone like one of Tony's crew, and and get that little bit of experience, a little bit of education, and that taste of success, and hopefully it blossoms from there. Um, but you know, I, we mentioned earlier it's the golden age of duck hunting, which I don't I don't really dispute. Um, but we're also at a point where the, the these barriers to entry have never been higher. Um, and and you know, we touched on some things, whether it's the cost of the, of the equipment, whether the know how. Um, whether it's land access, whatever it may be, but, but our use, man, they're being just uh, controlled by, you know, electronical things now just to put it broadly um, and, and, you know, prying them away from whatever device it is they're using, just getting them outside. That's really the start, right? I mean, you, you can't go from, you know, their focus on an iPad or a Kindle or on a phone or whatever to, you know, duck hunting the next day. I think you got to baby step that, right. And, and get them outside and, and get them doing just something, um, other than, than zoning in and just focus, you know, getting everything else out of their minds. Um, you know, so I wish I knew the answer to that. Trust me, we talk about it often. Um, you know, we try to focus on youth initiatives, whether it's uh, scholastic programs or 4-H, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, I won't say the other ones. I'm not even sure what the name of it is anymore, but the, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to, 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 to try to get to these people, but the most effective one is what, is what Tony said, is to get them the experience, right? Get them some level of experience and to hope that it catches on, right? I, I think if it's, it's in our DNA as, as, as humans um, to want to wanna do these kinds of things, to be outside, to hunt, to, to provide for your family, um, and you really just have to get, get some level of experience into them so that it, it'll start a fire
1: love it great great analogy george thompson skip Knowles. can wildfowl write an article on a tony vandemore youth hunt can they write a, 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 are there segments that are geared towards the new hunter whether it's a male a female women in the outdoors um somebody like me that started almost when they're 30 or or a, or a boy or a girl that that's going to follow you know tony's kids have a head start right that's a mentor but there is so many millions of people that don't have that um, a, that mentorship. Skip, what can Wildfowl do to help develop a mentorship program? Is it in the works? Has it already been in the works that I don't know of? How do we combat what George just talked about of those getting those barriers knocked down a little bit to enter the waterfowl hunting culture? You
0: know, my audience is the, the 10 percenters. It's super hardcore, and uh, we've always catered specifically to them and let Delta and DU do a phenomenal job of pushing youth programs and getting kids out, banding birds and and stuff like that. And we've always tried to lead by um, getting our super hardcore, because most of the people that read my magazine are like me that, you know, I was stumbling around South Texas duck marsh for the 410 at age five. And Tony's the same way. And when I was eight years old, my dad said, if you play your cards, right. You know, somebody will pay you to do what you'd rather be doing for a living. And that's Tony's mantra. He's like, You know, if you're doing what you love for a living, you're never working. You know, I I, I don't know what I'd do if I can't play in the dirt is what he said. So we were born into it. um, But the number one thing, and you guys all touched on it indirectly, we have to capture people's imagination. Now, Duck Dynasty did that in a very weird way a little while back, got people interested in duck hunting. Um, In the 90s, you guys are probably all too young, but there was a movie called A River Runs Through It. And it spurred this ridiculous surge for five years in fly fishing where the rivers were just crowded because the movie captured people's imagination. Now there are many ways to do that. And I suffer. Um, I already see my daughter, she's eight years old. She wants a cell phone, you know, um, they can be passive bystanders on the sidelines of life, or they can get their cleats on and get in the field, you know, and, and we have to capture their imagination. There are many ways to do that. Some kids, the Avenue is going to be through having a, a Labrador at home and, and, uh, interest in retrievers. It's like, I've known all these Olympic archers that never had any interest in hunting. Eventually they want to go hunting. Um, and, Dogs are one avenue to do it. We can use social media for good. We didn't have the foul life when I was a kid to watch Chad Belding, you know, just get smothered with ducks or or snow geese that captures your imagination. You see that you have to use the evil power of, uh, of all the digital stuff for good to expose people to excitement. Tony's the best in the business at that, you know, make a pile and guns blasting. If if there's a boy with a pulse in the world, he sees that and doesn't kind of wish he could do that one day. Um, It'd be surprising, but we have to make them understand how they can do that. And the youth programs are fantastic. You know, the other another avenue to capture people's imagination is to make them really care about the birds. Ducks are fascinating. There's so many different species. They're amazing animals. They change colors. You know, they they go, they fly from the Arctic to Mexico. There's so many ways to capture people's imagination and get them interested. And I think that's the first step. Um, I, I took. I talked to Carson Wentz, the great quarterback, a couple of days ago for the Eagles, and his brother Zach. And Zach talks about Carson got into, um, uh, duck hunting in college because he fell in love with a dog, Henley, his golden retriever and loved seeing her. And he said, I didn't know anything. I'd go out and um, I bought a call and drove my dorm mates crazy, but, um, he got into it through the dogs. And then Zach was an upland hunter. This from the Dakotas. And Zach went and said, I'd seen ducks in parks. I'd seen them flying overhead. You see ducks. It's nothing to do with duck hunting. The first time I was in a blind, saw sunrise and you could hear their wings and the noises and the chatter and the stuff they make and watch them come and be ducks and do their thing. He goes, that was it. Two years later, they had another epiphany. They went sea duck hunting for the first time and got in a big layout boat and the, and the variety and the excitement and the fun of sea duck hunting. They were hooked. They're doing it on their own a time and time again. So it's, it's about capturing someone's imagination. And there are many avenues to do that. Wildfowl is one of them. The Gearish is certainly one of them.
1: Very well said, Skip Knowles. I think that a, a big part of it, and and I love what all three of you said, I think that it's coming together like this. I really do. George and Vandemore and Skip is we all have our own lives. We all have our own brands. We all have our own responsibilities. But I think that curiosity and catching that imagination is key. And I think that, um, at some points in careers, there's ego. And I think that another points of careers, there's understanding. And I think in a different part of the career, there's more transparency. And I think that if we can continue to break down barriers within our ability to do it, our ability to work together, like you just said, the Wince's, all right. Well, the Wince's have a have a media outlet that's different from what I do or from what Vandamore does. If we, if all of those can come together with some good messaging that's consistent about what you guys just touched on, I think that that's so key. And I think that I uh, that you see that in other industries that people can be competitors, people can be um, you know even develop the same exact product or the say you know we can talk about a different manufacturer of guns and George isn't going to take his headphones off and spike him like a football and walk out of that baby blue room that he's sitting in that that's probably his master bedroom but if we can all come together and always and and show people like look man the, this, this lifestyle is ingrained in us. This culture is there. I think people are going to pay attention to your vividness just now, Skip. I think they're going to look up to Tony that he can take them on that hunt. They're going to look to somebody like Vandamore to teach them. They're going to look to a company and a brand and a personality like George Thompson, Benelli USA, to give them that insight that guns aren't scary. Ducks are awesome. The compassion in the heart of a hunter, the conservation efforts, the amount of ducks that Vandamore and the Macaulay and Habitat fat, Flats feed and provide safety, security, nutritional value up and down the migratory routes when they return in February and March to go breed. I'm sure Tony's got trail camera pictures that would wow all of us sitting here right now. That those ducks are in that they are benefiting off of that sweat equity that Tony's putting in right now. So that's the way I see it: is the respect, the transparency, the honesty of saying, "Hey, look, there's there's been bumps. There's been there might have been there might have been uh, you know." really dis staunch disagreements in this industry at one time. But I love the fact that people can come together, even if it's a little bit later and share that passion and that vision. And what you three just touched on is why I didn't just want this to be a shove the Benelli or shove the shotgun down the readers, the reader's throat. When you have a chance to get this much knowledge in a room and somebody can come on here for 60, 65, 70 minutes and go, man, Vandemore does that, man, Skip really does. When he's writing that, he's literally thinking this way. And, and George is, is so profound when it comes to the knowledge of a shotgun. So that's what I want people to get out of this. It's not about the Benelli presents the foul eye for Tony Vandemore is a sponsored shooter from Benelli. Of course, we're going to talk about Benelli, Skip. You knew we were going to getting on this podcast. We had to. It's the best shotgun ever made for what we do, in my opinion, Tony's opinion, George's opinion. Skip, you have you might have some different thoughts. I've seen. Some pictures of you that that you might like them you know you might you might like another one but i love the fact that we can do this i want to do more of it i think it's needed and i truly think that people will get something out of the vividness and the pictures and the masterpieces that were painted in this today and it might just be a couple words it might just be a couple things that tony said that a kid's gonna go dad i've got to go to hot habitat flats and now that dad's not just saving up for his he's saving up for his son's m2 or his daughter's m2 And now... He's putting money in that hunt jar to go hunting with Tony at Habitat Flats, which should be the goal of every American duck hunter because of the picture that Tony paints and the lifestyle that he's portrayed to the American public. Thank you all very much for being here. I love what wildfowl does for the psyche of the duck hunter, the goose hunter, the waterfowl hunter, the sea duck hunter. Um, Tony's been on sea duck hunts. He was in the Benelli commercials when when the SB3 was launched. He's worked with the best in the businesses in the business from the Thompson at Benelli, the Lee Joses, the Skip Knowles. He's worked with the best. People are going to hear this, and they're going to want more. Let's give them more. Let's not be afraid to give more. Tony, congratulations on the success. George, congratulations on keeping the secrets that we got to wait five more months to hear in January. Skip, congratulations on another 260 pages of pure genius in the 2020-21 Duck and Goose Waterfowl season gear issue by Wildfowl. Thank you, gentlemen. Any closing words? Vandemore, you first, then George, then Skip, you end it.
2: I think just touching on uh on what you what you talked about there for one second. It's not like it's not like high school. The the hunting industry is not a clique. It's not you can't go hunting with with you because you blow this call or or you wear this clothing or whatever. It's a very very small industry and at the end of the day we're all we're all hunters. And I think people would be surprised at the different friendships and the, the, how, how non-clicky it really is. I mean, some of the younger kids growing up, you know, to know that we hunt with, with all kinds of people that do all kinds of different stuff. It's not a sponsored thing. It's not this. It's not that. It's not divisive. Duck hunting is something that brings everybody together.
1: I love that. The common denominator that brings all of these different walks of life together, and we've seen it from being in camp, Tony. I can't imagine the, the military, the youth, the women, the doctors, the pilots, the janitors, the bus drivers. I mean, there's so many walks of life that can get something out of the duck blind, the therapy that it provides. I've seen it day in and day out. Very well said, Tony Vandemore. George Thompson, can you add to that, please, before we sign off?
3: Yeah, you know, first, you know, thanks again, Chad, for having me on. Uh, Thanks, uh, Skip and and Tony, for sharing the screen with me here. I appreciate any time I can chat with you guys. Um, You know, and I just make the appeal out to the folks listening. Um, If you are an expert, if you are a semi professional, if you know what you're doing, take folks with you, right? Let them share in the experience. Um, You know, a comment earlier about making a pile for me, and I've said this before on the show. It's it's not about making a pile. It's about the experience. about It's about being with people, the camaraderie. Um, you know, share that experience with people. And and if you're a novice and you've never hunted before, but you have some level of interest, um, you know, book a hunt with a pro. You know, <clears throat> the investment's pretty minimal to get to get out there. You don't have to go buy a new gun and decoys and calls and rent land. You don't have to do all that. You want to see if you like it? Go with a pro. See what it's like. And uh, you'll be hooked, right? Give it a shot and see, and see, if, see what, if you like what you see. Um, so, you know, again, thanks for having me. Um, and, and, you know, I hope everybody listening is getting something out of it. Um, and hope to talk to you
1: again soon. Very well said, George. Skip Knowles, Editor-in-Chief, Brand Manager, Wildfowl. Congratulations again on the gear issue. We're all excited to open our mailbox and get it if you haven't already. Take us out, Skip.
0: Thanks man. I, uh, I knew this was going to be a fun one with you guys, with this crew of characters. And it really was, I, 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 we could keep talking for a couple hours, but, um, I think you guys all touched on really good things. Tony, it's, we need to convince people that it's more accessible than they probably think it is that it's not clicky. You don't have to be a washed in the blood, born into it person to, to enjoy it. Um, uh, Ramsey Russell, my buddy says, you know, you take a Saudi prince and a, a, a captain of industry and a bricklayer and a, um, um, just a truck driver and put them in a duck line, you know, what do you have? You have four duck hunters. And that's, there's so much truth to that. And we need to we need to convey that message as well as fighting to capture everyone's imagination. And that's part of my job is is um, uh, creating excitement around everything. And um, you guys are also absolutely right. We should convince, one of my best hunts with Tony was that uh, he had four kids from, from Colorado actually, who saved for two years to come up and hunt with him because the excitement that he had created on social media He had painted that picture, captured their imagination. They saved their money. They were in their late teens. They couldn't have a beer with us later. (laughs) And uh, they had the time of their lives getting to hunt with their great hero. And we need to make people understand that it's doable. Um, George and I, we've been on hunts in Europe, driven partridge hunts where guys pay $10,000 to hunt for two days. Um, It's just absurd. We have an extraordinary opportunity in America with guys like Tony. I told some of those European guys, Hey man, we got snow goose guides back in the states that will move two thousand decoys in one night, scout all evening, and then get up at four and hunt their butts off for hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars a day in some cases. And they were like, "What? Why? Why would they do that?" And uh, we—it's really worth it in that case. When you look at the cost of leasing land, getting access, getting all the decoys, my goodness, two to two to five hundred dollar a day hunt is is a bargain. And, and we need to convey that message to people and, and create that excitement.
1: I love it. And I bet you, you know, with Mr. Ramsey Russell's analogy of that duck blind, I bet you those four gentlemen exchanged phone numbers. Maybe one of them was a female, but I bet you they exchanged phone numbers and they're sending pictures to each other from Saudi Arabia, all over the continental United States, Canada, Argentina, South America, the South Island of New Zealand, Asia. There's so many places to chase ducks and geese and waterfowl. And we're humbled to do it. We're not entitled to. this lifestyle gentlemen we all know that this is not an entitlement it's not even written into our declaration of independence that we have the right to hunt we have the right to shoot through our second amendment my good friend remy warren made a comment to me one time that it would be a hunter that gets this blessing and non-entitlement it's 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 truly could be a hunter that gets it taken away. And that's why I love what you guys do is because you flat fly the flag in the right way. I personally have probably made mistakes in the past that people could say, that's not the right thing to do, whether it was wearing a flat bill hat or whether it was chewing Copenhagen on camera that I got called out on one time and I barely ever chew. And just that one time I got called out and I was like, dang it, that's not good for that kid to see. Maybe it's not. I don't know what's the right thing to do, but I just want to keep mature and I want to be a better version of myself every day and the message that I can provide. And I think that that's key in what all of of you guys have done, we all mature, we all can work together in different facets. And that's why I'm humbled to have you guys here. I think that we have a um, just I, I don't know I, I don't know if I'm getting too corny here, guys, but there's there's got to be an understanding that we are so privileged to get to do this in this country and that we are so lucky to have the leadership that we have that keeps these rights for us to go out and see that sunrise in a habitat flats blind with Tony Vandemore or go on a rider hunt with Skip Knowles or break down a Benelli SB three and clean just kidding, not clean it. Just shoot a super black eagle three with George Thompson. We're blessed. Thank you guys. This has been another episode of the Foul Eye Podcast two. 2021 Wildfowl Gear Issue Series, powered by Wildfowl and Outdoor Sportsman's Group. Thank you all for listening. Please keep supporting the partners and sponsors that support us. Thank you all so much for the downloads and subscriptions. Tom, hit that button. This is 2 a.m. Logic. The song is called My Fowl life See you guys next time.